Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Welcome to episode number 122 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. We have a great show today. Our theme is... What do you know about that? Mm-hmm. So, what do you know about that? And how do we know what we know? And how do we know if there is any truth in our knowledge? The 21st century is referred to as the age of information. And certainly, it is the age of immediately available information But instead of it causing us to be brilliant beyond measure, I think it has actually made us more confused. It seems that we live in the age of misinformation and in the knotted up ball of hype and ads and clickbait articles, we can't seem to find the thread that will lead us to actual, factual, well-researched truth. The solution, I believe, is to look backward in order to move forward. We have to step back far enough to get past the scourge of political correctness and find a time when the professionally offended hadn't yet been able to edit and rewrite history. And we better do it quickly because it seems that nothing is safe or sacred any longer. And it may only be a matter of time before all we have left are redacted remnants of the lives that people really lived in a time and place in which they lived and told in the context of the imperfect conditions that existed. I propose we reorient ourselves with Two places that might sound dusty and dull, but which are rich and vibrant with knowledge and experience. Our libraries and our museums. Libraries hold the written record and museums hold the items, the pieces and parts of our great-great-grandparents' lives. Now you Kindle lovers out there may disagree, but there is treasure to be found in the clunky, heavy, wonderful, vintage, and antique paper-bound books and novels of the same works that you can find on your Kindle, only better, because you can experience the written word the way the author did. And you also know that the words you're reading haven't been altered by today's delicate sensibilities. 
They are as they were written, and they tell us about a different time and a different culture that is unencumbered by how we enlightened 21st century types feel about it. Now, there are many tragic events and times throughout history, but that is even more reason why those things must be kept alive in our memories and passed along to future generations unsanitized so that our children and our children's children might be able to avoid the mistakes of the past. Given the choice of burdening our youth with unpleasant historical accounts and knowledge, or burdening them with ignorance, I will choose knowledge every time. The best education is one that is formed from a variety of sources. The more varied, the better. And the best student always has a healthy skepticism and doubt that what they are hearing might not be the entire truth. This creates a hunger for ever more pieces to every puzzle. Sadly, nowadays, too many of us just read a five-word headline and swallow it down as though it is the entire meal. We hear politicians specifically say the most ridiculous and emotion-drenched nonsense and wrap ourselves in it as a valued garment. My friends, we have become complacent and lazy, and we have abdicated our responsibility to seek out truth to charlatans who live to deceive and who love to hear the warped music of their own voices. Nowhere is this more apparent than when anything related to firearms and those who own firearms comes up in the news. The wrong information is piled so high, so deep, so quickly that those of us who know the truth can't ever hope to get in front of that garbage truck. It is up to you to question and to seek out knowledge on your own. Now, it does require time and effort to sort it all out, but, you know, the best term, short-term solution is that unless you want to sound foolish, you should never repeat a single syllable of what the media and politicians spew out unchecked. I will leave you with this food for thought. I read once that the FBI trains their agents to detect counterfeit money not by having them study fakes, but by having them become so familiar with the real deal that they can spot a fake a mile away. It looks wrong, it smells wrong, and it feels wrong. If we will reacquaint ourselves with what is real and true by reading as many old books as you can get your hands on and visiting as many museums as you can get to, you will be studying what truly was and is so that when the fakes cross your path and counterfeit realities are offered to you, you will be able to see them for the flim-flam that they are. And in doing so, 
you will become wise and empowered and not easily led down the rights restrictors rabbit hole of ridiculousness. And you will be a valuable source of knowledge when others ask, so what do you know about that? Dan? What you know about that? <laughs> well, you know, I think that's why scammers are so, success- are so successful today. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants what they want and they want to believe what they want. They don't really study. They don't listen. You know, somebody that doesn't like Trump, they they want to hear negatives about him. Mm-hmm. They don't care if it's true or not. Mm-hmm. And then they want to tell their friends and it just grows on and grows with that fake news. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. Mm-hmm. And it works both sides, too. I mean, you know, it's candy to the ears of people that don't like you know, let's we'll say Hillary because you know she was the the latest uh, Who contender. Who wouldn't like Hillary? <laughs> oh, 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 that. Oh, never mind. I'm sorry. I talked about Hillary Stop Duff or something. Stop it, it's Hillary Duff. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, but no, I think it's a valid point that you're making. Is that it's just when you're already pre pre um, you have a bias one way or another. It feels good to have somebody support what you're thinking and what you're feeling. And so much of it is emotion-based. And I think that is such an important red flag. And it is for me personally in my life. If something makes me feel a certain way, then I immediately pull back from it and go, wait a minute, let's do some fact-checking here, right? If something makes me think something, I um, I react in a different way. I, I'm a researcher. I, I, I'm a reader. I'm a learner, so I'm always going to want to make sure that I, I know as much as I possibly can. But the the whole emotional draw, that to me, it just reeks of manipulation. And so as soon as I feel myself having a, an emotional reaction, that's a, a quick reminder. But Cheryl, that takes work. <laughs> all I want to do is turn on my TV and listen to all the good things that are coming through the news. I know it's all... It has to all be true. Everything's true. Yeah. What you just said is way too true about way too many of us. But we can, any second of any day, we can choose to do something different. And I know where we got some I truth. I challenge the people that want to um, want to slip into what you just said. I, I challenge you who's listening out there right now. Do one thing different than you've done before. The next time you hear a headline and you want to just dive on top of it and believe it, take a second. Look, do take a second. Look deeper. Yeah, the water might be cold, so tiptoe into it. Yeah, I right? like that. All right, who do All we right. have? On well, the show you know what? Well, I'll tell you some truth. The okay. truth is, we've got some very knowledgeable people on the show today that can help us with the, some of those things that you were just talking about. Our first hour, we have Jim Sapika. He's the director of the multiple NRA museums on television. Jim has so as co-host six seasons of NRA Gun Gurus and NRA Guns and Gold. He has also co-authored seven books and written numerous articles on firearm history and gun collecting, including regular columns for the American Rifleman and Shotgun News. He is here to talk about the history of firearms and the importance of preserving that history in museums. I am super excited to talk to Jim. He's just a fun guy. And we found out when we went to the museum symposium, um, where was that? Wyoming? At the Cody. Cody, Wyoming. Uh, that he was an auctioneer. 
back in the day. I'm like, well, auctioneers unite because, of course, we have pot of gold auctions. So (coughs) that's part of the blood that runs through our veins. On our second hour, we have Rachel Malone, founder of Texas Firearms Freedom, former director of operations at Republican Party of Texas, and currently Texas director of Gun Owners of America. We also have Rob Morris. He's a host of Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast and co-host of the Polite Society podcast. His, he blogs at his Slow Facts, Slow Facts blog, and his articles appear in Amelan and Clash Daily. Rob has just completed training at Faster Saves Lives, and he's here to tell us about the program from a firsthand perspective. Can't wait to hear that. We also have Don McDowell, the host of Shake, Rattle, and Troll radio show for 17 years and running. Who does that that long? He is a professional bass angler, saltwater charter master, member of the United States Coast Guard, and a hunting guru. Indeed he is. And we also have our Responsibly Armed Citizen Report and Dan's Commentary. So stick around. We've got a great lineup right after these messages. And we're back with Cheryl Todd talking about the huge gun buying event at azfirearms.com. Oh, AZ, I get it, as in Arizona. Yes, but... Oh, or AZ, as in everything from A to Z. Well, yes, that too. But what I'm telling everybody about is that azfirearms.com is having a huge gun buying event to buy your old firearms all across Arizona and everything from A to Z. That's great news. See, my grandpa left me an old shotgun and it's just sitting on a closet shelf at home. So I can bring that into azfirearms.com and sell my gun. Absolutely. azfirearms.com buys, sells, trades, and even consigns your old firearms. Any vintage, any style, military, long guns, handguns, hunting, or home protection. Single items or entire collections. We offer the highest value for your used firearms in a safe and friendly environment, staffed by knowledgeable people. azfirearms.com is Knolltown Avondale off I-10 and Dysart Road. Come on down to the huge gun buying event every day through the end of the month at the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And for all your firearm and ammo needs, visit azfirearms.com. I'm Rob Morse from the Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast. Each week we share stories about men and women who saved lives. Now I am asking you to be a lifesaver as well. The Second Amendment Foundation protects our rights to keep and bear arms. They defend our rights in courts from coast to coast. Today, they need our help. Please go to saf.org and join the Second Amendment Foundation. That's saf.org. Hi folks, I'm Don Carter. If you're looking for the biggest little gun shop in the West, look to azfirearms.com. They have 1,100 guns in stock and a knowledgeable staff to help you find just the right firearm for you. azfirearms.com is my nationwide hometown gun shop, and you should make it yours too. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. 
Well, we are super excited to bring on our next guest and so excited that we're keeping him for the entire remainder of the first hour on it's so appropriate that he's on today's show who with the theme is what do you know about that because so often we think we know our history uh we've gotten some weird redacted revised version or you know our memories have become fuzzy and jim is knows all about that he knows (laughs) i like what you did there dan jim is the director of the multiple nra museums and on television jim has co-hosted six seasons of nra gun gurus and nra guns and gold he has also co-authored seven books and written numerous articles on firearms history, gun collecting, uh, and gun collecting, including regular columns for American Rifleman and Shotgun News. Previously, Jim was an antique arms dealer and fellow auctioneer and is a former member of the NRA Board of Directors. He holds Juris Doctorate and Bachelor's Degrees from the University of Kansas. And Jim is here to talk to us about the history of firearms and the importance of preserving that history in museums. Jim, we are excited to have you on. Are you there? Well, Cheryl and Dan, I have been looking forward to this. Uh, we've, we've visited a number of times, and we've always had such a, a great time. And I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about uh, firearms history and the NRA Museums programs with you. Well, things that both of us are, uh, all three of us are very passionate about. And so it's just fun when we get a chance to get together. Jim, she never mentioned anything about all those number one guns that you have. I was hoping we were going to get oh, to talk gosh. about that. Damn oh, the, well, the Todd, the Todd family was visiting the museum here, and we came up uh, to my office where I have uh, my personal collection in, in private safes up here. And uh, one of the things I collect is serial number one guns. So we got the chance to look at those together. And uh, uh, a lot of times that'll be the, the first gun of a particular model that a manufacturer produces if they start with serial number one, or it might be a, uh, a, uh, a vanity number, if you will, somebody's initials with a number one. But I haven't added any guns to that collection for quite a while, but I recently got uh, a new acquisition for that. Yes, yes, it's very, very special. Um, it's a AZ Firearms. It's a, it's a serial number one. Uh, yeah, I've been trying to figure it out. I'm guessing it seems to have a plastic or polymer frame of some sort. I was a little bit flustered on what ammunition to use. I finally turned on the tap and found out the tap water works just just perfect. Just don't use hard ammo, uh, hard water. Okay? That's right. It is a water oh, that, gun. Yeah. It is indeed a, a water gun yeah. because we hand those out to uh, kids and families when they come into our gun shop, AZ Firearms. And we, of course, always have uh, attached to it a, a little card that has all the gun safety rules on one side and the Second Amendment on the other side because everything has a, a chance to be educational. So um, we figured, you know, nobody's got serial number one of our water guns. So we had to give it to I Jim. I do now. <laughs> It's so much fun. It's safe and it's safe with the other ones. Well, Dan hasn't stopped, like, shaking since he saw your collection. I mean, <laughs> and and we have a lot of guns and a lot of cool guns, but uh, and it takes a lot yes, to did. get Dan's attention, but you absolutely did with that. 
Yes, and and give us a tour of the museum. It was so beautiful. There's so much to see there. I really encourage anybody that that's in Virginia to go to that. Absolutely. Well, and I was thinking that there was a just one NRA museum until after we were talking, and there are multiple. Tell our our listeners about them. Well, we have the three museums now. The original is the NRA National Firearms Museum. Uh, It was founded about 83 years ago when uh, NRA was located in uh, downtown D.C. And when we moved to the new building here, the NRA headquarters building in uh, in Fairfax, Virginia, uh, about uh, 23 years ago, we also moved the Firearms Museum here. So it's uh, located here in the uh, NRA headquarters building, uh, it's the one you guys came and visited. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful museum. A uh, couple of the most popular exhibits we have here uh, uh, include the uh, Peterson Collection, Robert E. Peterson, who was uh, Peterson Publications, which includes guns and ammo and hot rod magazine. Uh, and his estate left us his spectacular collection. And uh, it is really, really... Uh, finest collection I've ever seen of engraved firearms, uh, true high art, uh, hand-carved engraving on firearms. Of course, near our exit is our Hollywood Guns exhibit, and uh, that is is always possible. We've got everything from the uh, uh, first revolver that John Wayne carried in a uh, uh, credited movie role uh, through uh, Dirty Harry's Smith & Wesson Model 2944 Magnum, and up through uh, uh, firearms from recent Academy Award-winning shows. Mm. Uh, people ask me what's here. It's really the story of uh, firearms in America. I try to bookend it with two pieces uh, in the collection. One is a wheel lock carbine that came over on the Mayflower with John Alden. That kind of opens our show. And at the uh, at the end of the timeline is. Uh, probably the worst condition firearm in the museum. It's a, it's a little Smith & Wesson J-frame revolver that's, that's crushed and bent and all the finish burned off. But it's so important to us because it was recovered from the ashes of the World Trade Center after, uh, after 9-11. A young New York City police officer had carried it into the building he never came out. Um, he was last seen trying to help people uh, trapped in an elevator. Mm. Um, the the little backup gun is the only thing they recovered from the ashes. Uh, he was a very strong NRA member and supporter, and uh, we are very, very honored to be able to uh, exhibit that in the uh, museum. Mm. But, but people ask us what uh, we have. I say, well, we start with the Mayflower carbine, we go through the 9-11 revolver, and we try to cover everything that happened in America in between with mm. firearms. <laughs> right. you, you do know, it I, well. I still think about that uh, WTC gun. It, it, it's very, um, I don't know, it's just something to think about and to remember. WTC, World, World Trade, Trade Center? Center yeah. Oh, right, yeah. 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 Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it just brings everything into stark... Hey, but there's uh, also fun stuff. I mean, we saw, you. Uh, is it a 1920s sh- complete shooting gallery? Oh, so fun. Uh, almost turn of the century. Oh, there's okay. an old shooting gallery from, uh, actually it was from Coney Island. 
uh, if you can imagine that. I can't imagine that happening on Coney Island today. Right. <laughs> but uh, uh, it was originally steam-powered, and then it was converted to electricity, and now we've got it uh, here in the museum. It's hooked up to a frequently malfunctioning electric eye to where when somebody approaches it, it turns on and you get the music and the targets move. Uh, if you're not wanting it to, if you want it to, it's just hard yeah. to activate, but it's fun and it's a neat thing. Yeah. Well, our, our granddaughter, our four-year-old granddaughter was with us. And when it first came on, it, it scared her because she didn't know what was happening. But then as soon as she figured it out, she was like, oh yeah, where's, where's the nearest, yeah. uh, pow, <laughs> So. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, well, so that's that's our original museum, and it's a spectacular museum. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a very nice, but much smaller museum at the NRA Whittington Center in Raton, New Mexico. It's the Frank Brownell Museum of the Southwest. Uh, it's a little jewel box of a museum. Uh, the focus uh, is on illustrating the history of that region through the firearms that were used from the conquistadors uh, up through the settling uh, of the American West uh, up to today when uh, Whittington Center is hosting uh, uh, national and international championships uh, at those ranges every every summer. So it's a, it's a great museum, uh, well worth seeing if you're going to uh, Whittington Center uh, to, to shoot on the ranges. And our newest museum, I'm very, very proud of. It's called the NRA National Sporting Arms Museum, and it is at Bass Pro Shops in Springfield, Missouri. Now, that is the original, first original uh, uh, Bass Pro Shop. It is the, uh, it's the uh, uh, spectacular, spectacular uh, uh, Bass Pro, and uh, that, uh, that museum has now been open for five years, and I'm very, very proud to say that on an annual basis, it attracts more visitors than any other firearms venue in the country. We get about a quarter million of pe- people visiting uh, through there a year. It's a beautiful, spectacular museum, uh, uh, like everything Bass Pro does in terms of their displays and exhibits. Mm-hmm. It's done absolutely first class. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're very, very proud of it, and uh, uh, folks love it. I, uh, I, I love that you've taken history to where people already are. I think that that okay. is a key to success in a lot of things, and and I, I that was very clever um, to do that. Well, we're very grateful to Johnny Morris of Bass Pro Shops for making it happen because he uh, uh, he approached us about it. Uh, he he built the museum. He staffs and maintains the museum. But just like you said, that was a thing to us. Uh, you you bring the guns to where the people are, and having a, a beautiful museum like that in the heart of America. Uh, it's something we're especially proud of and had wanted to be able to do for a long time. So, Jim, do they they specialize in anything, anything in that museum? Is it a, you know, a feature thing or what? It's a, as the name would suggest, the focus is sporting arms. And so there is a timeline of sporting arms from uh, 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 the earliest explorers and settlers and conquistadors on up through today. Uh, the hunting arms that have been used uh, in America. There's about a 150-foot uh, timeline that traces that. 
there are other great exhibits of sporting arms throughout uh, that museum, but it's not limited to that. Uh, there are uh, uh, there's a beautiful Second Amendment gallery that has uh, a salute to America's armed forces, uh, has a mural of a huge American flag on the background, and then. Uh, uh, 21 gun salute, 21 U.S. military arms from uh, uh, the flintlocks that were used in the Revolutionary War up through today's uh, uh, modern military rifles. Uh, there are there's also a very nice Hollywood guns exhibit there. There are some beautiful engraved guns. There are historic guns from the Old West. Uh, we've got guns attributed to Jesse James and Bass Reeves and. Uh, 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 just a number of uh, Old West luminaries in the museums. There are guns of presidents, of championship shooters, uh, Annie Oakley, Medal of Honor recipients. Uh, there are just uh, uh, spectacular feature firearms throughout that museum uh, wherever you turn. I love it. So we're going to break for commercial for a second and come back. We're with Jim Supika. He is the director of the multiple NRA museums, and we're going to continue talking about the importance of preserving not only our history, but specifically the history of firearms. And the, the topic I really want to dig into when we come back is you know this whole idea of repeating firearms. You'll hear people say a lot that the founding fathers could have never conceived of the, the idea of like a semi-auto uh, firearm. And uh, the NRA museums tell us otherwise in real uh, actual items. So we're going to talk about that. We come back from this break with Jim Supika. Stick around. Don Collier here, letting you know that you won't get fool's gold at Potty Gold Auction. They're the genuine article. Potty Gold Auctions off guns, coins, jewelry, and antiques of every kind. Stop in and see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd in Avondale, Arizona for some live auction action. Or check them out on the web at pottygoldestate.com. Auctions take place the first and third Tuesday of every month and are full of a great mix of antiques, collectibles, jewelry, guns, and coins. Visit our beautiful air-conditioned showroom off the I-10 at Dysart Road at 215 East Western Avenue in historic downtown Avondale. You will find a friendly and knowledgeable staff, comfortable chairs, and we even serve free birthday cake at every auction. Or bid from the comfort of your home at potofgoldestate.com. Don't miss out. Everything is going, going, gone at potofgoldestate.com. Hey everybody, this is Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan, world champion gunslinger and Hollywood gun coach. In the Westerns, there's always a good guy and a bad guy and sometimes the ugly guy. And I always root for the good guy, which is why I'm here to tell you about the good folks over at azfirearms.com. They are straight shooters and always give you the best deal in town. azfirearms.com is the biggest little gun shop in Arizona and have something for every single gun enthusiast. Long guns, pistols, hunting, 
including military, law enforcement, home protection, you name it. And when you've got some guns to sell or trade in and trade up, azfirearms.com are the folks to see. Geez, they bought a cannon once. They are family-owned and operated, friendly staff, courteous, totally reliable. azfirearms.com will give you the best value for your used guns. So stop in, see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd at azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road and tell them Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan sent you. Thanks for sticking around. You are with Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. And this show is also a proud member of the Self-Defense Radio Network. Find out more and check out all of the great content at selfdefenseradio.net. Well, we are excited to be chatting today with Jim Supika. He's the director of the multiple NRA museums. He's an author. He is uh, highly educated, holds a Juris Doctorate and a Bachelor's Degree. And uh, he's here to talk to us about the history of firearms. And not just the history of firearms, or but the importance of preserving that history. And then a step further is making that available to people, to the next generation, in ways that people can just um, experience it for themselves, right? When you walk through museums, especially a beautiful, well-presented uh, space like any of the NRA museums, it, you're comfortable, it's beautiful, you're engaged by the way that it's presented and lighted, but you're not being uh, talked down to, you're not being spoon-fed anything, uh, you're truly allowed to just absorb what's there, process your own thoughts. Um, if you're curious, there's opportunities to learn more. It's just amazing when you really stop and think about what our museums offer us. Uh, so welcome back. Uh, Jim Supika, you still with us? Cheryl, that is so well said. Uh, I couldn't put it better. It's so important for uh, us to be able to present the information, present the material in a way that is accurate, uh, informative, and entertaining, and uh, uh, let the folks who visit us uh, uh, learn from that if they want and draw their own conclusions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys have done that just beautifully. Well, you're the director, so you have done that beautifully. Um, we haven't been to the Whittington Center in Raton, New Mexico. Danny and I haven't. But you were saying that is one of the NRA museums, and your newest one is the NRA's uh, National Sporting Arms Museum in the Bass Pro Shop. Where was that again? What state was that? That's in Springfield, Missouri, right in the middle of Missouri, and uh, uh, it's a spectacular museum. All our museums are open every day of the week. All of them have free admission, uh, so uh, uh, we love to have folks come by and uh, uh, enjoy themselves and, and maybe learn a little bit while they're there. Absolutely. So one of the things I wanted to dive into with you is um, there's this idea out there that our founding fathers were, you know, just kind of, you know, a little sheltered or something like that, that they really were unaware of the possibilities of technology that could possibly come in the future and that sort of thing. <clears throat> and the idea of like a, a a repeating firearm 
or a semi-automatic firearm. Uh, people want to say that that's so far beyond what their minds could have conceived that they couldn't have been considering that when they wrote our founding documents, the Constitution and our Bill of Rights. And yet, while I was in the NRA Museum in Fairfax, Virginia, I saw some uh, firearms that would um, really challenge that notion. Can you talk to us a little bit about that history? Well, you're, you're so very right. And when you look at the uh, centuries of firearms in evolution, seven centuries, there are certain consistent themes that uh, uh, from way back in the, the 14th century through today, people are consistently trying to improve in firearms design. They're trying to uh, give them power that's appropriate to the intended purpose. They're trying to make them accurate. Uh, they're trying to make them safe for the shooter and for unintended targets. They're trying to make them durable. Uh, they're trying to get ease of maintenance. Uh, they're trying to uh, uh, develop ergonomics that let the shooter safely and effectively use the gun. And consistently for seven centuries, they've been working on the ability to deliver, to deliver multiple repeat shots on target as quickly as possible with minimal effort and disruption on the part of the shooter. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, this began practically as soon as firearms were invented, primarily with multiple barrel firearms. You see double-barreled uh, uh, firearms very, very early, and then adding additional barrels was a way to get additional shots. In our museum in uh, Missouri, we have a 16-shot wheel lock that was produced about 1590. It, uh, it's uh, created by loading multiple charges in a single barrel. So you load powder and a lead ball, and then on top of that, you put another charge of powder and a lead ball, and you repeat that 16 times. And the way this gun works is like a Roman candle. Uh, you fire the frontmost round, and after that first round, each bullet is hollow so that the fire can pass uh, through the center of the bullet to ignite the powder underneath it. So uh, it could be loaded several ways. It could be loaded to where one pull of the trigger would give you 16 shots or where uh, uh, one pull on the first lock would give you nine shots and then the second lock uh, would give you six shots. Or you could do nine, five, and one. But it uh, it was a definite uh, uh, repeater uh, dating from the 16th century, and uh, you could even say it was fully automatic because you were getting multiple rounds fired from one trigger pull. That sounds like a high cap as, high cap uh, gun to me. Pardon? It sounds like a high cap gun to me, Jim. <laughs> it sounds a little bit like that, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm as sorry to cut you off. What? I beg your pardon. I just I'm sorry I cut you off. Oh, no problem. No problem. 1645, you're seeing magazine-fed repeating flintlocks. The Kaltoff uh, repeater had a magazine for gunpowder and a magazine for lead balls built into the stock, and then it had a crank handle on the side of the action, and after you fired a shot, you could crank that handle and a disc would turn inside that would pick up first a lead ball and put it in the breech of the barrel. 
and then a powder charge and put that behind the, ba- the, behind the lead ball that's in the barrel and then prime the pan with gunpowder so you're ready to uh, uh, fire your next shot. We have an example of that from about 1750 here in the museum that was made in America by a guy named Cookson. Uh, but this Kaltoff uh, magazine-fed repeating flintlock was being used in the Danish military as early as 1658. Now let's remind, the folks, repeater, when, let's remind folks just quickly, when was the Revolutionary War that was when our founders were fighting for our freedom and, and writing our documents? That was 1775. You are talking about yeah. 100 years before that, there was this magazine-fed firearm. So I just wanted exactly. to frame that real quickly and then hand it back to you where you were. Thank you. Well, it's a great point because when you talk about founding fathers, uh, it's fascinating because in, uh, uh, in 1777, the American Continental Congress ordered 100 Belton repeating flintlock muskets that could fire eight shots uh, with one loading. Now, these were very similar to that Roman candle gun that we were talking about. Uh, The the American Continental Congress passed a resolution to buy these. Uh, One was demonstrated to the Continental Congress. There's correspondence between George Washington and... uh, Ben Franklin referencing this manufacturer and his repeating firearms uh, back as early as 1776, but uh, uh, very, very obviously the uh, the founding fathers did understand uh, the repeating firearms uh, years before the passage of the Second Amendment in 1792. And they didn't exempt those guns from the Second Amendment, did they? <laughs> No, they did not. They did not. Matter They're fact, kind of what uh, uh, they had in mind. I was just going to say that. And then they also decided to add a clause that isn't found in any other portion of the, the Constitution or the Bill of Rights, and that is the phrase, shall not be infringed. So I, I think that the next time somebody wants to pull that line about, well, they were thinking of muskets. They were, you know, they're like little infants that had no idea. When, in fact, many of our founding fathers were on battlefields themselves. They were very well aware of what firepower was about and what it was for and how um, it was instrumental in being able to draw that line in the sand against our oppressors and against tyranny. And, and having an or else behind our um, no, right? That is very well said. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, we're going to run to commercial one more time. And we have so much. I could have kept you on for the entire two hours uh, to talk about everything that I have on my list here, Jim. But I definitely want to kind of dive into uh, the beauty and the art of firearms. Uh, I want to talk about the engraved uh, collection in the Peterson Gallery, maybe some of the fun of guns, the Hollywood guns that you have in there, um, and, and all kinds of other things. So stick around with us. We have Jim Supika, who is the director of the multiple NRA museums. Stick around. And we're
We're back with Cheryl Todd talking about the huge gun buying event at azfirearms.com. Oh, AZ, I get it, as in Arizona. Yes, but... Oh, or AZ, as in everything from A to Z. Well, yes, that too. But what I'm telling everybody about is that azfirearms.com is having a huge gun buying event to buy your old firearms all across Arizona and everything from A to Z. That's great news. See, my grandpa left me an old shotgun and it's just sitting on a closet shelf at home. So I can bring that into azfirearms.com and sell my gun? Absolutely. azfirearms.com buys, sells, trades, and even consigns your old firearms. Any vintage, any style, military, long guns, handguns, hunting, or home protection. Single items or entire collections. We offer the highest value for your used firearms in a safe and friendly environment, staffed by knowledgeable people. azfirearms.com is Old Town Avondale off I-10 and Dysart Road. Come on down to the huge gun buying event every day through the end of the month at the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And for all your firearm and ammo needs, visit azfirearms.com. Don Collier here, letting you know that you won't get fool's gold at Potty Gold Auction. They're the genuine article. Potty Gold Auctions off guns, coins, jewelry, and antiques of every kind. Stop in and see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd in Avondale, Arizona for some live auction action. Or check them out on the web at pottygoldestate.com. Thanks for sticking around. You are with Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. We are glad you're here with us today. And if you've missed any portion of this program, you can go to our website, gunfreedomradio.com, click the On Demand tab, and binge listen to your heart's content, all 121 other episodes that we have stored there. And if you want to put a face to a voice, click the Guest tab. Every single guest we've ever had on has a guest page with photos and links to the works they've done and a bio. It's just a wonderful resource and and. You know, we love it when you spend time there. We don't hate that at all. Well, we are chatting today with our good friend, Jim Supika. He is the director of the multiple NRA museums. We are talking about the importance of museums because they preserve our history and make that history accessible to future generations. And that's, I think, one thing that's so missing these days is that you know, you go online, it seems like everything would just be at our fingertips and it would be so easy and we should just all be brilliant beyond measure. And instead, it's like this this jumbled up mess that you don't know what's true and what's not true. You walk into a museum and you see the item in front of you. Well, you know, that's a real that's a real thing. <laughs> it really exists. That takes some of the, the confusion out of it. And we really credit Jim, uh, the director of the NRA Museums, for making so much of our history accessible. Welcome back, Jim. Well, thank you. You're very kind, and I would be remiss if I didn't credit our great staff here at the NRA Museums. Uh, We have just a top-notch crew. Uh, uh, Many of them have been with us for for decades, and they've been doing a great job for years. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it takes a team. Even with our small operation, Dan and I couldn't do half of what we did without, without a team, so I very much appreciate that. So we have so much ground I wanted to cover. Yeah, um, but I want to ask him something. Okay, go ahead, Dan. Jim, so in the museum, I have two questions. One, in the museum, what's your best, what's the best firearm that you like there? Your favorite. favorite. Do, you, do you get to play favorites? <laughs> uh, 
yeah, I really do play favorites, and I don't <laughs> usually tell people. Right now, I'm really in love with that 16-shot wheel lock we were talking mm. about earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, another favorite of mine is a revolver that was owned by Theodore Roosevelt. It's a Smith & Wesson new model number three, which is my favorite model of antique firearm. And uh, Theodore Roosevelt was my boyhood hero. So for me, uh, it's it's kind of hard to, uh, to find a better gun uh, uh, to pick as a favorite than that one. That, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't argue with either of those at all. And when we talk about items that have a historical um, element to them, right, that provenance, how how do you evaluate that? Like, if something is historically attributed, you know, we already, I just said, we go online, we think we can have all the information under the sun available to us, but there's so much misinformation and garbage out there. How do you begin to know, okay, that really was Teddy Roosevelt's? That is such an important question, and it's something that uh, uh, beginning collectors can get tripped up on. You can find a historic gun that's got a a notebook full of documentation, but uh, after you buy the gun and dig through the notebook, you find that there are all articles about the person that it uh, uh, is attributed to, but there's no connection between that printed information and the gun. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I like to do is uh, uh, evaluate each gun that has a historical attribution, and I rate them with a letter grade, like in in elementary school, A through F. Mm -hmm. A is a gun that is provable beyond a reasonable doubt to have belonged to or been used by the person it's attributed to. Mm -hmm. Now, in fact, those are fairly rare, especially in older guns, uh, and especially in something like Old West outlaw guns. Uh, Smith & Wesson would ship a revolver to Theodore Roosevelt, mm. and they would record it in their records as shipped to Theodore Roosevelt, and that's how the Roosevelt gun is documented. That's an A-grade gun. Mm-hmm. Smith & Wesson would not ship a revolver to Jesse James or Billy the Kid <laughs> or anybody like that, And uh, there are so many outlaw-attributed guns floating around that Grandpa said, uh, well, he may have said Jesse James carried a gun like that, and to the great-grandkid, it becomes this was Jesse James's gun. So uh, you have to look at uh, the the supporting material that you have with the gun. And uh, uh, a B gun is a gun that is... uh, more likely than not to have belonged to the person it's attributed to. Uh, in, in legal terms, it would be proved by a preponderance of evidence. There's more evidence in favor of the gun than against it. A C gun, eh, you just don't know. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. A D gun, it's got a little bit of an odor to it. There's something a little off. And an F gun is a flat impossibility. You see F-guns in museums, uh, an F-gun, you, you, there are a number of instances when a museum has had a single-action army revolver uh, attributed to an Old West figure, and it turns out that that revolver was manufactured years or decades after that individual died. So each one has to be looked at individually. You need to look at uh, uh, any supporting documents, especially supporting documents from the actual era of use, but then uh, uh, supporting documents from subsequent owners. 
you have to trace back the uh, the family legends and how far back they go and uh, how reliable they seem to be. Uh, you need to look at other things like inscriptions. Uh, is the inscription plausible? Does it seem to have been made during the period of use? Uh, does it seem to be authentic? And then there's still a whole lot of seem-to-be's mm. <laughs> uh, stacked up on that gun. So each gun, each gun you have to approach individually. Absolutely. Yeah, Jim, as a collector, you know, I always look for those type of guns. And one of the things that's really kind of heavy on the market right now is the Wells Fargo guns. There's so many yeah, reproductions yeah. of that. Well, there are reproductions. And uh, Wells Fargo, uh, on many or most of their guns, they did put their company marking on them. And in, oh, maybe the 50s when uh, Wells Fargo figured so big in television westerns and in western movies, uh, there was a real trend towards stamping uh, WF, mm. I'm sorry, WF ampersand CO, Wells Fargo and Company, mm-hmm. on uh, any ratty old double barrel <laughs> shotgun that you couldn't sell otherwise and uh, passing it off as a Wells Fargo uh, stagecoach gun. So uh, there are a lot more fake Wells Fargo guns out there than there are real ones. There are real ones. Uh, there are some particular types of uh, markings that are fairly widely accepted as authentic, but it's, uh, it's very much a buyer beware type of situation. Absolutely, and it really wreaks havoc with not only the value, but the market in general, people's trust level um, of what you you may or may not really be selling, Um, and that's hard all across the board, and you and I, you and us have both experienced it um, from an auctioneer's point of view. You were an auctioneer years ago. A lot of people probably don't know that. I didn't know that. I was, and I, I loved being a firearms auctioneer. Uh, I did that, and I, I sold old guns. I had a terrible business model because <laughs> I loved buying guns, and I hated selling them. Yes. I regretted every gun I ever sold, but at least I got to have them for a little while. You guys know how that is? I understand 100%. <laughs> Cheryl doesn't, but I do. I thought you might, Dan. Yes. He really does. And like our staff will come and they'll say, oh, we sold this really great gun at a, a, a you know high price point or whatever. And they're expecting Dan to like high five him. And he kind of like goes, oh, that one? I cut you know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, so, you know, just because oh, we have a business yeah. name That's of AZ, AZ Firearms, it does not mean that it's not really the Danny Todd collection. He's not fooling me. I'm just letting you know that. So, so Jim, is there a guy? Well, is you there- know. In my opinion, in order to to be uh, a, be good in the business of antique firearms, you have to really love them yourself and really appreciate them because uh, you can't go anywhere and get a master's degree in old guns. Right. Uh, it's something that has to be built through experience. And if you don't have the passion for it, and if you don't get burned a few times, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, you're just not going to be able to have that expertise to to exercise on behalf of your customers. Right. So, Jim, is there a gun out there floating around that you wish was in your safe? <laughs> oh, there are so many. There are a lot that I wish were in the uh, museum collection. I'd love to have one of those uh, Revolutionary War Cookson repeating flintlocks, uh, but they were so rare, there's, uh, there's only one possible existing specimen that I'm aware of, and uh, I don't really know if it exists or not. I'd love to have that simply because of the historical 
importance of that particular model. But, uh, uh, yeah, there's always something new and interesting out there. Yes. That is very cool that with, with all of your experience, all the guns that have passed through your hands uh, through the course of your life while you were an auctioneer, and now that you're the NRA Museum Director, that there's still something out there that keeps you hungry and keeps you, um, you know, engaged in, in the hunt and the treasure hunt. And I love that. Well, you know, I think our whole museum staff here is that way. They're all historians, collectors. They all have a passion for it, an interest uh, in it. And uh, uh, I tell you, it's a wonderful job to be able to have where you can combine your passion with your career. You know, I'd like to mention to your staff, when we went there, everybody treated us like we were home. Mm -hmm. Really personal and just able to answer questions really treats you well. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Thanks. I'm, I'm proud and honored to be working with this crew. Absolutely. Well, we are just about out of time. And so before we run away, I want to give you a, sa- a second to just kind of brag on all, all that the NRA uh, museums do and how they interact at, with the community and how they keep history alive for people. Um, and then, of course, the work that, that you do because you're a professional prolific writer you're always doing something new how do people follow what jim supika does well what i'd most like people to do is to let the museums speak for themselves Mm. come visit uh, our three museums nra national firearms museum in fairfax virginia nra national sporting arms museum in springfield missouri and the frank brownell museum of the southwest at the nra whittington center in raton new mexico Uh, All of them have free admission or open every day of the week. If you can't come by the museums, come by our website, nramuseums.com, or go to our YouTube channel or uh, uh, join our Facebook page. Mm -hmm. Follow our Facebook page, and you'll get a fascinating gun of the day posting every single day. Uh, You can catch a lot of our TV shows uh, on nratv.com. Our back seasons of uh, NRA gun gurus are on there, along with a number of other uh, uh, museum videos. There's the whole pile of museum videos at our YouTube channel, so uh, uh, come see those. Uh, You'll catch us on television, on American Rifleman television. Uh, We appear on most episodes of Gun Stories with Joe Montaigne. And we've got a great uh, <laughs> we've got a great book on the market right now, Guns of the NRA National Sporting Arms Museum, that show all of those incredible firearms that we have in our uh, museum at Bass Pro Shops in Missouri. Gorgeous, gorgeous book, by the way, Jim Supika. Thank you so much. We've got to have you back on because there's so much more that we could dive into talking about the history. Uh, of our firearms and preserving the history and making it accessible to our future generations. Thank you so much. Jim Supika, director of multiple, the multiple NRA museums. Thanks, Jim. All right, stick around. We still have an entire hour of Gun Freedom Radio on the other side of these messages. When you're working hard to beat debt, you've got to think of creative ways to get your income up. Here's an idea. 
Sell some stuff at auction. Start with locally owned and operated potofgoldestate.com. The owners, Dan and Cheryl Todd, have over 60 years of combined experience in selling antiques, collectibles, guns, coins, and jewelry. And over their many years in business, they've earned the trust of thousands of people just like you. Whether you're saving for a rainy day emergency fund or paying down debt, let potofgoldestate.com help you get the extra cash you need. Potofgoldestate.com will purchase your items outright, or you can consign them to their twice-a-month online auction. Pot of Gold's nationwide online auction is a great place to get top dollar for your collectibles. They specialize in everything from antiques, coins, high-end collectibles, to cars, boats, guns, and more. Get started today at potofgoldestate.com or visit them off I-10 and Dysart Road in Historic Avondale for some live auction action. For more information, visit potofgoldestate.com. That's potofgoldestate.com. 